Hello, hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Eliminating Excuses podcast. Here we learn balance, grow in our perspective, and we are accountable. I am so excited because May is Mental Health Month, and I get to have some wonderful conversations with some amazing women. And and this wonderful friend of mine has come off her sabbatical (laughs) for, for this beautiful hour um, to talk to me, we're just going to chop it up, have a little conversation as we normally do. But Melissa, can you introduce yourself and who you are, what you do, all that good stuff? Absolutely. Well, I'm I'm super excited to be here and have this conversation with you. But I'm Melissa Douglas. I am a therapist. I'm a licensed clinical social worker. I'm a mom. I'm a wife. I do a lot of stuff. <laughs> and how many but- children you have? I have three children, uh, 14, nine, and six. Um, I've been teaching this semester, so I'm a professor. Like, just the hats be flipping all the all time. That part. <laughs> that part. Oh, my God. I, I don't know why it is just so... Oh, wait, wait. Please plug your business just in case we get too good in the conversation. Yeah. And I forget, so... <laughs> Yeah, so my private practice is goal-driven counseling. We've been a virtual counseling practice for going on five years this year. So I always joke and tell people that we was virtual before this pandemic. Like y'all joined us in the online. (laughs) Exactly. Claim that. I always have to claim that. But we focus on um, diversity, inclusivity, and just representation in therapy. Uh, black therapists are only like 4% of the population, but our community is completely disproportionately impacted by mental health illnesses. So I started the practice virtually to expand the reach of Black providers. You know, like you don't have to be within driving distance or on a bus line to come see us. Like if you, yeah. you know, I just, I really wanted to make Black therapists um, accessible and we've been, we've been doing that. And, and so before we go too deep into the other stuff, you are available to practice or help people all across this country. Like as a virtual clinician, you can help everybody. No, ma'am. And no therapist can. So. Okay. Thank it. I was trying. Okay. No. So, and, and that's a real common misperception. So with therapy, we still are regulated by, um, or, limited by state regulation. So I am only licensed in the Missouri of, in the state of Missouri, but we, uh, we serve Illinois too with therapists who are licensed in in Illinois. So every therapist, depending on where they see people has to be licensed in your state. If they're not licensed in your state, pause, break, that's a problem. Um, so no, not, nobody has the international, uh, freedom. Look, this this hair right here is getting on my nerves. It's just sticking. There we go. Okay, praise the Lord. All right. So, 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 so. Dang it, Melissa, what other states you're about to be licensed in, though? So we are hiring people in uh, Illinois, and we're we're strategically navigating a Midwest and possible Southern expansion right now. And because every state works completely differently, I have been very slow to even announce those states because things kind of shift and change as we start talking to accountants and lawyers and all those kind of people. So right now, uh, Illinois, uh, Missouri, um, Ohio, um, we're thinking about Texas. I will just throw that out there. And we also are looking into Indiana. So those are like conversations that are happening Mm -hmm. like right now. 
Very good. I'm excited. Okay, I had to get that out so the people know, if, especially if you're in Missouri, because I know quite a few people down there in St. Louis area. Y'all get, mm-hmm. get some help. Get some help. Okay, so that <laughs> this Columbia also, Springs everywhere. All of that, and and the fact yeah. that one. First of all, I absolutely love. First of all, I love you. You already know I love you, and I love just because you watch me grow up. That, like that's that's just, it's like we were praise dancing in church and stuff, and it was like oh my yeah. god, and to see where we all are now over 20 years later is like crazy so oh my god so let me focus and getting (laughs) to the conversation so here's here's and and i'm glad you mentioned the piece first of all i didn't know the low percentage of mental health uh professionals just in our communities right um that's an alarming number but also the idea that people don't necessarily feel like they need therapy like they have shopping therapy they have girlfriend therapy i sit on the phone with my i sit on the phone with my girls and you know okay that's what i needed but like what i found a lot of times is um and i don't know if you you all have been able to break this barrier but with men and therapy like Mm. especially our men right like have you found that it's hard just even as it relates to dealing with the men in your house, the young man as well as the the grown one, do yeah. you find that it can be challenging dealing with men as well? So no. And I say that because I've been able to have some unique experience with men. So my group actually just wrapped up a uh, virtual wellness support group. Uh, so that's let me actually say that because we're getting ready to relaunch in next month. So we have this program called the Access Initiative, where we do wellness coaching and virtual uh, groups, and that actually is open to anybody in the country. So let me back that up. So AI, AI, yes. Yeah. <laughs> but um, we just wrapped up uh, last month, or yeah, last month, a Black man in mental health virtual wellness group. And when I tell you they were just pouring out everything, being so honest, being so vulnerable, being so transparent. And what a lot of them said, and let me pub our partner with that. So we have, there's a local organization here in St. Louis called Man Up Global. And they're a whole organization that's redefining what it means for a man to man up, right? You can go to them and, you know, do all these things. You can be a mentor, you can give back. And a lot of what they talked about in that group is that, Men don't, let's talk about Black men. Black men don't necessarily get the space and the opportunity to have these conversations because of just, you know, the stereotypes that that Mm -hmm. go with them. And they don't necessarily get the opportunity to have those conversations and to say, you know what, I am feeling this because so many things are always carried on their shoulders. And it was a lot. So we've had that experience. This is our second time doing group with them. Um, a lot of the men sign up for individual services because they we start conversations that they're like, you know what, I need to continue this with my own just individual personal things. Um, yeah. Just, you know, in my home, like I'm raising a, a young black man. He's only nine. But, you know, it's only a few more years before the world is going to see him very differently than you know, to talk about emotions and feelings. Uh, my husband <laughs> really champions mental health and talking about it. And he's always been a very just laid back person anyway. But 
Uh, he actually told me today he took a mental health day today. I said, okay. Come on. Well, that's good. No, I don't think it's harder for them. I just don't think they get the privilege sometimes of people realizing that they need it too. Um, and that they need the opportunity to kind of, you know, lay down the cape and the shield sometimes. But then to speak to something that you were saying too, um, you know, with TikTok and social media and all that, it, it's awesome that more and more people are talking about mental health. Yes. And that's something that like our Gen, our Gen Z generation, like the stigma with mental health is not the same with them. Their Correct. celebrities are talking about it. They're talking about it in the movies. They're showing it. They're talking about it in songs. It's not that we're not talking about mental health, but there's a lot of misrepresentation and generalization. That's what I was going to say. Yes. Yes. So when you talk about like the retail therapy or talking to my friends as therapy, all of those things can be therapeutic and a part of your coping skills, but nothing but is not therapy here. but therapy with that part. <laughs> <laughs> with that part with a licensed professional. That's yes. the important part. Yeah. Okay. So and I love that you said that even with um because I found that a lot of times um, under the eliminating excuses umbrella, a lot of times we've had conversations mainly with husbands. Like I would sit and have conversations with husbands. They're like, oh my God, I can't do this. And and, this, and I'm like, well, how about this? You know, because a lot of times it's a it's a pushing of the blame and, and it's all them. And if they just did right, mm-hmm. I do right. <laughs> like if they just got their lives together, then I'd be the best version of myself that I could be. So mm-hmm. like, have you ever dealt with those type of situations where it's always someone else, someone else? And then how long does that typically take? And I know it can vary depending on who you're talking to, right? But how long do, does it typically take for someone to come to the self-actualization realization? Like, you know what? It's probably a little bit of me too. Mm-hmm. The time is <laughs> hard. Yes, I have experienced that. But... I think one of the most helpful things with therapy is how is because you're talking to an objective person. Like I always tell, you know, my clients, I don't have any personal stake in your life. I'm not going to give you advice. I I can't, I'm not going to do any of that. Mm -hmm. Um, So having an objective person to talk to and re and and reframe and, and talk back some things to you. I think hearing it in a different way is sometimes is sometimes helpful but I think when people start to get that kind of self-actualization space of being able to be accountable and, and take ownership of some of their stuff is when they understand their experience and their journey better. So when we, when we can break down some of the childhood stuff or the young adulthood yes. stuff, how things and why things became the way that they are, then they're able to drop the defense because that's where the lack of accountability really is. It's defensiveness because I'm trying to just protect myself. Exactly. You know? It yeah. has to be everybody else's fault. But when they're able to see it differently and understand their life path and, and why and how they got to the place that they are, they're like, oh, okay, I can I can extend a little bit of compassion to myself, which then yeah. allows me to be honest and vulnerable and open with myself. And it's just a whole, so that all of that just takes, it takes time. You know, and one of the things that I have been um, hearing a lot more, but also doing a lot more is extending grace to myself. Mm-hmm. You know, be- <laughs> man, you know, because we, we want things a certain way. We want to, it has to look a certain way. We can't put it out there the wrong way. And so 
in doing so, I'm putting un, undue, unjust burdens on myself. Nobody told me to do it. Nobody told me to show up for everybody and their mama. Nobody yeah. told me to rearrange my schedules and all of that. But for whatever reason, I feel like, well, I actually know in some cases it's because I really want to be a help. Like I really want, if I see you struggling, like it doesn't sit well with me just to sit back. And I don't necessarily drain myself to help, but yeah. some things I probably could just let them figure it out, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, so in doing that, and I know you've had to take some, some time, especially over, I'm sure over this past couple years of this pandemic, mm -hmm. um, how how does that look for you as a mother a wife you're you're a wife you're a mother business owner um where you're helping everybody through their mental stuff right mm -hmm. processing and everything like how do you and you're a woman let me not miss that part because you're a woman first right so mm -hmm. how how do you manage that? What do you do? How do you unplug? And then do you rec are you able to now identify when it's becoming overwhelming or are you at a point of burnout before you have to withdraw? Mm -hmm. So I am finally at the space where I can say um, there's I can't I can't remember who's the who the resource, but there's this diagram that shows the 12 stages of burnout like all the things that you go through before you actually get to the burnout stage. Hmm. And I remember um, a little while ago, I, I screenshot and I sent that to my husband. And I was like, you know what? I'm in an active eight through 10 right now. I ain't made it to 12 yet, but I'm, I'm yo-yoing between <laughs> the active eight through 10. <laughs> so what I've kind of termed it as for myself right now, I'm in burnout progression recovery. Right. Like I've been okay. able to acknowledge it. I know that it has been happening. I'm no longer dismissing it because before I was like, oh, well, I'm good. You know, I'm exhausted. I'm right. tired. I'm over. I'm going to be good. I'm going to push through, which mm -hmm. I've been because of my own work that I continuously have to do as a therapist. I, it clicked to me. Finally, I was like, Melissa, that's a trauma response. Mm -hmm. You have typically always done things that way. And so I had to think about during this pandemic, when I talked earlier about our practice being virtual before the pandemic and all of that, mm -hmm. when the whole country had to go virtual, you know, in a matter of days or so, that left a whole yeah. community of therapists trying to figure out how to care for their clients who had never done a virtual session before. Mm -hmm. So I jumped in in 2020, training people, coaching people, supporting therapists in yes. transitioning practices ethically, virtually. I'm supporting my clients. I'm supporting my family. I'm, so my initial response to everything was like, go do, jump in, support, be mm -hmm. there, all those things. So now I'm just now responding to 2020, 2021 pandemic, and it hit me all. <laughs> like, Oh, wow. Right. So um, there's there's been a lot of things that I've done. Of course, I've I've been in therapy myself. Of course, I have the self-care routines. Of course, I have the boundaries. I have all of that stuff. But honestly, within, I would say, probably six to nine months ago, none of that stuff worked anymore. Mm. Like none. And um, I would also say that my business has been in a lot of transition. Like we're we're in this process right now where we're doing this whole HR overhaul and turning all of our 
therapists who have typically been 1099 contractors into employees now. So wow. there's this whole HR side and, you know, development side. I'm just like, I'm about to celebrate five years in business and it feels like we're starting from scratch. I didn't have the energy, you know, yeah. for that. So it's it's been interesting. And I know there's been a lot of conversation amongst our team because we really have this like community feel of what do you do when your go-to things no longer are your go-to things? They're no longer working. They're no longer having the same effect. Yes. And I realize now too that today I'm not the same person that I was. That part. Like, you know, I've changed and I'm not sure that I've allowed my coping skills and all of that to change with me. So I think right now, the biggest thing that I've been doing is taking a step back, resting. Um, one of the things I value so much about my, my husband, and, I, and I'm just thankful that we've learned each other and developed our relationship more over the years. He asks me all the time, what do you need? All the time. You know, what do you need? How, how can I make this easier? How What can I do for you? And being someone that works from home and like, spend so much of my time at home. Yes. That's a very helpful question to be asked. Absolutely. Absolutely. And really resting, relaxing is a is a huge thing. And and also shifting my community, right? Like I I needed to be more in community with people that are going through the things that I'm going through. Gotcha. Um, too. So it's 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 been a lot, but it's it's not the easy, oh self-care it and all that kind of stuff. Right, right. And so, and that's, that's one of the things, even for me. So, um, you know, the transition that I had to do with, um, both the last husband and the mm -hmm. legal system and all of that fun stuff. Um, but I found that, and, and I guess I've learned this over the past, maybe five or seven years where if I can't find something to laugh about, like if I can't go to Kev on stage or Kevin Hart or somebody and laugh when I'm in a moment like I'm grabbing lifelines, like, hello, somebody pick up the phone. Um, because I feel like a lot of times and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but even with what we grew up with in ministry, it's like, take it to God, take it to God mm -hmm. in prayer, take it. And you sitting there like, and I'm praying and I trust that he'll answer, but you do know he uses people. Right. So <laughs> we over here yeah. in the, in the prayer closet, like, Oh Jesus, Oh Jesus, come on through Jesus. <laughs> And he like go to the go to the restaurant and sit down and let the waitress talk to you. You know, go ahead. You know, another thing I've been doing that's a very uh, practical thing that I didn't even think much of, but I, I made an intentional effort to change it. When people ask me how am I doing, I'm no longer saying, "Oh, I'm okay. I'm good. I'm whatever." I would say, "You know what? It's a hard day today," or "I'm that's exhausted." Cool. Or I'm a little bit tired or I'm overwhelmed and, and I have to not care about how that landed on yeah, somebody. Yeah. Because I think being a therapist, I'm so protective of other people because I understand deeply that as individuals, we're all going through something. Absolutely. And, and I realized that I wasn't being honest with my community. So I'm, I don't care how you take that. I'm not going to that. If you got a follow-up question, we can talk about that too. But I'm no that's longer saying I'm good, I'm okay, I'm fine. Because that part. It's just, you know, that's doing me an yeah. injustice. That's not allowing my community to be there for me either. Ooh, so so that's my, my challenge. Um, mm -hmm. Allowing community to be there. And, and I found myself as a defense mechanism 
you can't disappoint me if you don't know that there's a need that you won't either won't meet or can't meet. So yeah. I'll just figure it out. Now I want I want to be the person that you can run to and you can you know you got it. But <laughs> but for me it's like mm, I don't want to be looking at you side eyed because you didn't help me out when I really needed it and I rarely ask for help and and it's still times where I'll ask for help and it's like uh. So I had a young man, um, a young lady who, so it was a couple and they decided to divorce, right? But um, everybody went toward him and she was stuck trying to figure it out. Mm-hmm. And it's, and but it, but the other question is, how do you deal with someone that has been like we have been, where it's like, I don't wanna give it to you, but you're trying to pull it out of them. Like, hey, you can't do life alone. Like, mm-hmm. how do you how do you help somebody without being that person that's that's yeah. annoying or or I don't know how. But yeah, yeah how do you help? I exactly what you're saying. You you have to be patient with them because getting to that space of opening up. So when I hear you say that I am a person who doesn't who rarely asks for help, and so if I'm building up that vulnerability space to present myself in that way to say, I need something, I have a need that's unfulfilled and and I'm trusting you to be able to do that. When we get disappointed or let down, that's just teaching our brain. See, that's why you don't do that. That part. (laughs) We have to work through our own stuff and realize the importance of that and not allowing that kind of cognitive correlation to happen that says, when I ask for help, I get disappointed because there's a whole lot of gray and other options in there. And it's not that automatic, but we can't force anybody else into that space because you've got to do your own work in regards to vulnerability and any kind of shame and any kind of trust and the protective factors that our bodies just automatically activate when we've gone through different traumas and things. Mm-hmm. I see you squirming because, you know, <laughs> you know, I've had to do that work too. Yeah. But it's, it's so personal in nature because when we shut down in those kind of ways or we don't open up or we don't ask for help, I always tell people not to demonize that part of you. Because what your brain and your body is doing, it's it's activating protection. It's saying, if I have learned and felt and experienced this before, I'm going to do whatever I need to do to not feel that again. Even if that doesn't look like the most healthy, healthy way of right. that, mm-hmm. our bodies is just trying to protect us. And so when we have a a perspective of grace, like we talked about earlier, and we can connect with why that's happening. We talked about that earlier. Mm -hmm. And we can shift and we can say, you know what? I see that this person is showing me something different that other people didn't. This person is consistent. This person is continuing to reach out to me. This person is not pushing me. This person is allowing for me to have my own autonomy and figure it out with myself. And that teaches our brain like, okay, I think I can jump out on the ledge right. again yeah. <laughs> and allow, you know, this person to be there for me. So it's it's our own indi- individual thing. And the best thing that we can do for that person is just to continue to show up and be consistent. Okay. Let's talk about relationships. Girl, I almost, like, I was trying to fight back tears over here because I'm like, <laughs> oh, we're not going to do this on this live. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and what happens, oh. happens. <laughs> no, because, so... For me, oh, this would not be that 
mental health may the devil um no, i say so, let it go crying is, girl, is cleansed it's cleansed it is, but i want to get through the lies <laughs> so, <laughs> um no so for me like um i remember it was years ago i put out a post um because i knew as a single mother i was like i need help like help me and i i went to the point of hey there are five daughters here everybody pick one like <laughs> let me know <laughs> and i'm not playing like y'all know i can laugh and i can joke and i have fun but i was serious because i felt like i'm doing it by myself and yes i have my mom and dad and sit like if i need to take them to my parents house i can but there's also that peace that's not family that you know that safe space that allows them to do things or see things outside of what i've known or what we've known and yeah. so it was it's really hard even with this whole this most recent situation as of three years ago four i don't know four years ago um i haven't even gone through my process yet right mm -hmm. because it's like and and i know in my own head there's some things i need to work through mm -hmm. it's just how hard it is because you had i'm a single mother of five daughters right so i'm constantly trying to make sure they're good and trying to make sure everything gets straight and and make mm -hmm. sure they're in a position to so that it, because my my fear was i'm gonna get into a counseling session and i'm gonna break down they're gonna tear apart all these layers and i'm gonna be in the bathroom on the floor for the next five days and mm -hmm. they can't function and i'm like i can't have my baby trying to be a wreck that, that part mm -hmm. but i still whatever this is because i know our bodies hold things you know we can have pain in the back and and yep. migraines and things because we haven't dealt with it and although I believe that God has graced me to be able to deal with certain things better than someone else could, mm -hmm. I know there's something that I need to do. But how do you do, like, how do you do that when you have so many responsibilities? Like, when you're trying, like, how can you factor in? I know it's important, but yeah. for those that are listening that are in the same boat as I am, like, how do you process in? I'll get my nails done because you know that's a part of everyday living. I have to have my nails done. I can't be going out here. I'm gonna do my hair. Y'all know I did my own hair because I ain't got time to be going to nobody else's shop. But yeah. but I, to factor in my mental health, which is the most important. Mm -hmm. But but to think to process for me, it's so much that comes from that. It's not just oh I go and talk and oh the the lights are are shining again so i'm gonna stop talking so you can help a sister out and any other sisters or brothers that are listening because yeah. i'm stuck <laughs> you know i hear this this particular piece so much when especially when it's parents right like i have to hold everything keep everything together and i'm putting myself on the back burner because i gotta make sure that i present you know well and together and stay on top of things for them what I will say is you have to trust that there will be, that the falling apart, that the fruit in the process will be worth it, right? And so I think there, what's, what happens is there's this anxiety that's there. there there's this fear that I'm going to open up all these doors. I'm going to open up Pandora, Pandora's box. Uh -huh. <laughs> Yeah. And I'm not going to be able to put a lid on it. 
So what I will say is the first thing to do is to research who you want to talk to. Make sure this person specializes in what it is that you're actually experiencing. And once you see that person, let them know that you need this process to be slow. Right. Mm. And I'm saying this specifically because I'm thinking about the client. So what you just explained is my whole clientele. I have about I've narrowed down to about 15 clients and they are all millennial aged or whatever is right above millennials. They're mid 40s or so Mm -hmm. black women with children in careers like everybody's profile looks almost the same that that has some kind of trauma. Right. Mm -hmm. About two years ago, I got certified in this um, trauma treatment approach called EMDR, Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing Therapy. And what we do in those is we actually tap into traumatic memories and we reprocess them. And the goal of reprocessing them is so that you can use your present day knowledge, awareness and safety factors to teach your brain that you're okay now. Because process of trauma, when we go back to that memory, everything feels like we're back in that space, right? Mm We feel, we smell, we observe, like it feels like we're back in that time. And the whole process is to teach us that we can have the memory, we can hold the memory, but the memory doesn't have to control our existence. The reason why I'm saying all this is because I realized, and I remember in my consultation calls with my uh, the person that certified me, we have to be very on top of having continued training because this is such a, a, a sensitive tra- kind of treatment modality. Mm-hmm. I remember talking to my trainer and I said, my caseload of Black women are having a really hard time with this. And I realized the way in which I learned the treatment was not the way that I could do it in practice. I had mm-hmm. to take it slower and I had to be very gentle because of that idea of, I can't just completely let all of this out and not be prepared to contain it in some kind of way. Yeah. So that resourcing, that coping, all of that, we take a lot longer with that piece before we ever get into the reprocessing because with our historical traumas, with all the other isms that we experience as Black people, as Black women, as all of those things, that's compounded with whatever it is that we experience too. Yeah. And I'm saying all that to say that trusting that you can do this, but also trusting that there is a provider that will meet you where you are and not push you past your limits so that you can still show up in life the way that you need to is important. So you said to find one that um, is skilled at dealing with what I'm dealing with. So what does that mean, though? Like, do I, how do I narrow down what of all the things that I'm dealing with? How do I narrow yeah. that down to the right one? Yeah. So you think about what's what's most pressing for you. So I, I heard you say that you or anybody, right? We have all these things happening in life, but there is something that's pushing us to say, I need to go get this addressed or these few things addressed, okay. right? Whether it's whether it's anxiety symptoms, depression, like mood, like there is there is a, a handful of things where you, gotcha. that's, that's pushing and motivating you to say, 
I need some additional support with this. Gotcha. Most therapists, I will probably go to say all therapists have a website, they have directory profiles, they have a place that allows you to read how they approach their work, what their specialties are, and what you can expect in working with them. Okay. And if your handful of things is not on that list, that's not the provider for you. Gotcha. So that's how you can start narrowing down. And then from there, a lot of providers provide consultation calls as well, where you can have a 10, 15 minute conversation. And I always tell people, interview that therapist, right? They're, they're not just asking you questions to see if you're a good fit for them. You ask them questions and right. you say, hey, how do you approach this? What is your experience with this? How can I know that I've met my goal of this if I start working with you? Because a good fit is so important and we can't um, we can't risk the not good fits because everybody doesn't have the opportunity to come back around and try again with somebody else. Some people get defeated in the process. Absolutely. And I really feel that it's our responsibility as providers to make sure we're making sure that the fit is good for us. Like, you know, as a provider, if you don't treat couples or you don't do this or you don't do that, nobody wants a generalist. Like, I want to know that the thing that I'm experiencing, you have the receipts. <laughs> <laughs> that part. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I got to feel that there's some kind of rapport there. I got to feel that I can trust you. I, I got to feel that I can feel safe. And if after a couple of sessions or so, I don't feel that, okay. Go to somebody else, and that's completely okay to do. So, let's let's move to the business aspect, and and being able to, and your business is just so because you deal with the different personalities and and mindsets and spaces. Um, it's sometimes I'm sure difficult to navigate those in business as well. Because mm -hmm. they're trying to, like we just talked about, maintain their, their mental space along with making sure their business is together. Have you found that with yourself outside of with, when you withdraw from, let's say, social media or friends and family, do you also withdraw from business? Is that something that... Um, <laughs> say that's the money. No, we don't no, do that. <laughs> no, no. And it's because, you know, I, I don't have the, so last year, around that six to nine months, I can't pinpoint it exactly. I think one thing that fueled me having such a hard time was that for the first time over these almost five years in business, I had the thought of maybe I should just throw in the towel. Wow. And that scared me because this is such purpose work for me, mm -hmm. like the, the honor and the privilege of being able to walk people through these very sensitive things and then teach and train and, and have a, provide a space for other therapists to be able to do the same thing. Yeah. Like, I feel like that's what I was created to do. And I finally found <laughs> that. That part. So mm -hmm. to be so burnt out and kind of over it to the point where I'm just like, Maybe I won't have this counseling business anymore. I have never felt that before, wow. ever. And thankfully that, you know, I reached out to my husband when I, I reached out to my business consultant. I reached out to a friend that's also in private practice. And I was like, look, this where I am, it does not feel good. I don't like that I'm here. 
give me something. <laughs> right. Look, I need a prescription, um, not the drugs. But, you know, yes. somebody do and, something. You know, yeah. So walking through that and having those conversations and 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 being able to be grounded in that experience. Um, I realized that no, like this, that is not an option for me. Mm. So even if I pull away from social media, even if I pull away from extra responsibilities and all that kind of stuff, I'm not going to pull away from my purpose. That's and um, so, no, like I've actually in, in this time that I haven't been as visible in other spaces, I've been even more invested <laughs> in the okay. practice, you know you know, getting new things developed and done and making sure that our team continues to have a good, uh, you know, work culture and team feel, that's my responsibility, you know, and it's, and it's nobody yeah. else's responsibility within my business. So, um, no, um, I had that, that little moment of, of defeat, I will say, mm -hmm. but uh, on the business side, I, I feel like I'm, I'm starting to show up better than ever. That's amazing. Um, I'm running into a lot of people who are either in a position where they're going through a divorce or um, are they're currently in a rocky place in marriage. Um, mm. And and what I want to know is because I and I'll talk about my after you. Mm -hmm. um, maybe I might go before you because you might bring more sense to it than what I got to say. But oh. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> But no, so one of the things I know, like the first spouse, he was a habitual cheater and all of that good stuff. And um and and that does something to you personally, right? And and I feel like people, those defense mechanisms come up like if either they're if you cheated, I'm a cheat, you know. So now we gonna both be out here hurting. Um yeah. or or it's a matter of, oh, and I took him back multiple times. And, and you get those people that are quick to say, you know, if he did it once, he'll do it again. Mm -hmm. Okay, great, whatever. Thank you for all of that. But this is a marriage for me. Like, this is not my boyfriend. This is marriage. Um, mm -hmm. But it lasted for, to the point where it was like, okay, enough is enough. And that was done. I remarried a couple years later. Um, it went good for the first six months. And the rest of the eight years was like, what are we doing? Right? Mm -hmm. But even in that what what I, the difference for me that happened in the second marriage that didn't happen in the first was i continued to live mm. despite all that. so so the first one it was like everything was wrapped up in the husband it was wrapped up in the children and then if i went to work i went to work um mm -hmm. i actually burst eliminating excuses during the second marriage and mm. when I still maintain my faithfulness to my husband. I still maintain my position because I'm brought up, you know, listen, I'm keeping my hands clean. We're not playing those kind of games. You can do whatever you choose to do. But as it relates to me, uh-uh. Yeah. But I also decided I'm not going to stop living my life and growing and doing what I need to do in the process. And I feel like sometimes we we forget that. We forget that we are individuals first. Mm -hmm. And so when things start falling apart in our marriages, our friendships, our businesses, our jobs, you know, we we revert back to find trying to find different safe spaces. I got mm -hmm. I got to find and we're not thinking and processing because we forget that we're individuals first. So what do you think about that? You said a lot. <laughs> what, what, what do you want me to go? No, I got things. 
so mainly about the relationship, the breaking down of relationships and how people yes. uh, yes. deal with them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, individual work again, right? Yeah. So you know how people say uh, with their partners or their their spouses or their significant others, that's my better half. When we start seeing ourselves in relationships as two whole people and not halves, it changes our perspectives. Yes, right? Lord. And yes. I think a lot of times it gets challenging because people in relationship, not even just marriages or things like that. I, I think about friendships. I think about all, yes. all the kind of chips that we all can have. Mm -hmm. People is there might and sometimes in relationships, there is not a common, shared, communicated goal sometimes, mm -hmm. but people operate in their own individual spheres. Like there's an expectation for the unit, but the people may be in different places and spaces yes. in their life. One might be ready for all this self-actualization, reflective, introspective work. One yes. might not be. And then when this person is ready for it, this person might be in their own kind of situation or thing that's happening. Mm -hmm. And so learning how to be understanding, flexible and supportive of those people in the ships, no matter where they are and determining, are we going to get in the same book and then in the same chapter to get on the <laughs> same page? And realizing that that's a whole process. Yes. I think another thing that is expectations, right? So my expectation of what a wife should be or what my uh, role is in this particular marriage might be very different from what my husband is expecting me to be. Exactly. And vice versa. And so I, I don't think a lot of conversations happen <laughs> in that space. No regarding expectations. And then we navigate relationships with unmet expectations, not knowing how to communicate about those things. And then when we do communicate about them, there's so much defensiveness because we're on different pages that we can't get into a solution-focused mindset. Mm. So again, it's all individual, right? Like I have Absolutely. to be ready to do my work and you got to be ready to do your work and we got to be ready to do that at the same time with the same common goal in mind. That's good. That's good. And and that leads me to the next one as it relates to communication. Like mm -hmm. how are there um I wouldn't I don't want to say tricks, but are there methods that can be used to help with all the shifts with effectively communicating? Because we we know that if we're both yelling at each other, some uh, I've heard different arguments where they're actually saying the same thing, but because you're yelling you don't even hear, right? Like you're not even processing yes. that. I just said what you said, but you didn't say it like yes. us. And it's like, okay. <laughs> but are there ways to, for those that listen, like what can they do if if they've, two different ways. If they've never communicated the expectations, right? How do we, how do we foster that conversation? And then two, if they have had the communication, but we just, for for whatever reason, we just cannot come on the same page mm -hmm. just by having this conversation. So what can we do so that we can hear differently? Yeah, yeah. Those, are, those are great questions. So the first one in regards to how do we communicate the expectation, it's your personal responsibility to figure out what the expectation is, right? Like we sometimes hold people 
to expectations that we never communicated. And then we're hurt when people are not meeting the expectations that we didn't communicate. Or we also are pushing expectations that are not actually our own, right? Mm. So there's a learned expectation from my mama, my grandma, society, this movie. That's good. That relationship goal, whatever that means. So we're holding on to or or identifying with expectations that are not genuine and authentic and re- actually connected to our relationship and the person that we're actually with. That's good. So I think that's the first one is like making yourself accountable to doing your own work to clearing up and clarifying all of this that's and communicating those things. Yeah. Now, the second piece, when you have communicated, you've gotten blue in the face because you're asking for all this stuff and you're expecting all this stuff and you told them all their stuff and they're still not doing it. Yeah. I love an expanded I statement. And so we all know the I feel this, I feel that, the taking mm-hmm. ownership of our feelings. But an expanded I statement, we can use the, the acronym or the letters of O-F-N-R. So the O stands for observation. So when you are approaching a conversation with a significant other or a loved one or anyone, you might know what you want to talk to them about or address or whatever, but sometimes it might be coming completely left field for them because they're not in your Mm -hmm. brain. Right. So (laughs) the conversation allows us to say, hey, I noticed when you did this, or I noticed when I asked for this, or I noticed when we were talking about this, this Mm -hmm. happened. So it sets the stage and it lets the person know, hey, this is the the basis and the baseline of what we're about to talk about. And I'm letting you know that I am aware of or cognizant of this thing happening. And it's important enough for me to talk to you about it. Mm -hmm. After the observation, you follow that up with the feeling. I notice when you do this, I feel frustrated. I feel disappointed. I feel ignored. I feel rejected, whatever that Mm. might be. So again, you got to do your own work first, because if you're not comfortable identifying your feelings, you're not going to be able to communicate that to somebody else. So the feeling after that, the the last two steps are kind of interchangeable, depending on what the situation is. But the next, the N stands for need. And then the R stands for request. So the need is simple. Observation. I noticed when you did this, I felt example rejected. I need for you to communicate with me if I am saying something that is offensive to you. That's right. Full statement. (laughs) That's good. That's good. As to adults, once we do this need or this request, the request can also sound like when we are engaging about this particular topic. Can you um, communicate with me what you need or how you feel or something like that, right? Right. A lot of times we can deal with people that are that completely shut down and they don't tell us anything. That part. Um, <laughs> but so that that N and that R, that then leaves it open for that other adult to reflect on and say, oh, okay, so you're telling me you need this. Do I have the ability to meet that need for you? Right. Is your need or your request actually reasonable for me? Because mm-hmm. then the response can be, OK, I hear that you need this. You know, that might be a little bit hard for me right now. 
how about we try this first and work up to that? Yeah. Right. So it's it's a it creates a, a mature conversation that identifies everything. This is what's happening. This is how I feel about this. This is my need or request. But the conversation doesn't end there because I'm not a dictator in this relationship. That part. Mm-hmm. I'm leaving space for you now as my significant other friend or whatever to let me know if you have the ability to meet that need or if I need to adjust and be flexible to what your needs are too. So then I know this is not a blanket statement, but so then my question is, if I communicate my need um, mm-hmm. and you tell me you can meet this need and we have to keep revisiting it, revisiting it. So one of the things I said on a previous podcast was, you know, I'll, there's grace that has to be extended because people have their generational makeup. They have their way of doing things. There are certain ways that they live. Right. And I can love you all day long. But if I have a habit that I have not broken, that you are unfortunately reaping the consequences of or been whatever but Mm -hmm. the reaction is based on what i'm used to doing is not that necessarily i don't care but there are some things that i have to try to figure out how to put in place and that means i might drop the ball five six seven times so Mm -hmm. is is it then at that point do i evaluate or make the decision on whether this relationship is worth me waiting for you to figure it out or do i just readjust myself to just not be um tended to in the way that i'm looking for like what is what does that look like and does that necessarily affect the mental capacity as well Mm -hmm. i think it depends on how important that unmet need is to you so a lot of times in relationships too we have this expectation of this if if there are things with this particular person that I don't like that don't sit well with me that that I don't feel good about my expectation is that they're going to shift and change to become the person that I'm going to be happy with and mm-hmm. so when it comes to that thing that they continue to fall short on you then have to ask yourself am I going to be okay with this thing if it never changes yeah. If they never become or never do this thing that I'm asking for, is that a mm-hmm. non-negotiable for me? And if it is a non-negotiable for you, then that's my, that might be a time where you are considering the longevity or not of the relationship and actually communicating that to the other person. Can you? Can we? Because that's the thing that I don't understand, how people can be in relationship with people, like really strong relationship, not just a fly-by-night person. Mm-hmm. and drop off without the communication mm-hmm. it's like okay i express what it is that i needed you have shown me by your actions i know you're you may have good intentions but you're mm-hmm. not there and so that's fine but i'm gonna shift this way mm-hmm. <laughs> and so it, but people do that they cut off people without having the conversation and, and i'm glad you said that because that's yeah. important and if you can explain why you believe that's important to have that conversation because it's it's necessary to just be clear. You know, I, I think the the alternative of that ghosting or dropping off or whatever, it's avoidance and avoidance is easy. And communication challenges us, especially within relationships and things. And so to have to confront a person and, and not confrontational in an aggressive way, 
but having to just speak and own and say like, this is where I am and this is how I feel and this is what I want or this is what's not being met. That takes, again, a level of vulnerability and emotional maturity that sometimes people just don't want to navigate. I'm not saying that people that ghost or fall off are not emotionally mature. I'm just saying avoidance of all of that extra work because it Mm -hmm. is work. Sometimes it's just easier. And sometimes it can also be an indicator of their kind of level of, um, I don't want to say investment in the relationship, but I think sometimes people confuse this piece with, you know, closure or not needing closure. I don't need that. Or I don't want to give this person another opportunity to hurt me because I'm already dealing with the fact that my needs are being unmet. So mm-hmm. I think it comes back to the personal stuff of you got to deal with you. That's why you don't want to have the communication. It's not mm-hmm. necessarily about the other person. Okay. And I think that, oh, Lord, this hour has gone by. So my <laughs> last question is as it relates to parents, um, because I've seen a surge of people in all of these these videos and TikToks about people talking about traumatic parents and growing up and your parents did this and that. And, oh, my God, these traumatic parenting parental experiences and stuff and it's like in some in some cases i feel like yes people had traumatic experiences and i think other people is like you was bad as you you was like don't be putting it you know, and, and we we neglect to give our parents the great the grace or or you know to extend to them that they did what they thought they knew what was best yes it didn't necessarily vote well for us depending on how we you know, came up, you know, mm-hmm. getting whooped with extension cords and canon was not the will of the father. But <laughs> hey, <laughs> look at me now. No. Yeah. <laughs> but I, in some cases, I feel like, like we were talking about with um, the therapeutic versus therapy. It's mm-hmm. like, is, is it really the parent's responsibility at 45 for you to, for them to come back and say, you know what, child, I'm so sorry. Like, at what point do it become the individual's responsibility or should the parent, if they're still living, should they do that work with their child? Like, what what is your take on that new, I'm saying it's new, you may have been hearing it for years, but <laughs> what is your take on it? <laughs> that is so complicated. Um, um, <laughs> Well, I, I, well I know your situation too. So <laughs> I don't want to say um, that it is or isn't the 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 parent's responsibility or is or isn't. So as the child, right? So someone yeah. who is saying like this has been um, my experience or whatever, I think it's important for us to allow people to speak their truths. You know, whether they were bad or or whatever, like whatever. their experience mm-hmm. and their recollection of what they experienced growing up was this. Cool. Mm-hmm. However, how do we process that? How do we allow that to inform our lives? And then what do we do next with our children or the other people that we come in contact with? So yeah. that's your responsibility is figuring out what do I do with this awareness now of what I've experienced? And no, we can't put it on our parents for us to then have to work through our own stuff and how it landed on us. Mm-hmm. To the parent, I was just, I, so, okay, I'm gonna wrap this up real quick, but <laughs> I was just talking to someone yesterday about the difference between aging 
and developing, mm. right? Yeah. So some of our parents, based on what they experienced, what they went through and their generational history, which is important for us to extend grace Absolutely. to them. Some of our parents just age, means meaning that they get year after year after year older, older. but mm -hmm. their emotional intelligence does not develop, right? Mm -hmm. So they sometimes might be stuck in whatever those older years are of the experiences that they had that they never addressed or worked through, and they're stuck in that space. So we navigate life being mad at the 45, 50, 60 year old person that's in front of us, but who yes. you're really engaging with is that 15, 16, 17 year old who had you as a teenage parent and, and went through so many traumatic experiences that yes. they never addressed and they just worked to the bone and now this is who they are. That yes. particular person may not have the ability to be accountable to you in the way that you desire. And so mm -hmm. we can't hold them to it, <laughs> basically. Right, right. But then we have some parents who actually develop and they realize, you know what? Yep, I hear your truth. I respect your truth. I apologize for that. And I'm willing to work through what you need to help your needs be met in a different way. They've done some of their own work. And mm -hmm. so look very different in that relationship with that parent. Um, but no, we can't require anything of anybody but ourselves. That part. But experience with parents is really sensitive. Um, yes. Yeah, yeah. And one of the things like, because um, I, I have, we would have collective meetings, me and all five of the girls, and then we'll have, well, typically four, because Layla just be on her iPad, but <laughs> but then we I have try to have individual conversations with them before too. And one of the things that was said to me, I believe it was my oldest child who was saying, you know, um, yeah, you know, I felt like she felt like she had to take this responsibility. I said, well, who told you to? And she said, well, you know, it just seemed. I said, but who told you to? Like, I understand the weight that you chose to take on. And let's work through that after we acknowledge the fact that it wasn't me because what my children do is they go around here talking about what I, I'm like, I did not tell you to do that. I did not do that. That was not me. They they had a whole conversation at an event one time in Eliminating Excuses Youth Edition. And thank God it was somebody in there that knows how I do things. But they were like, she said to all the kids in there, raise your hands if you have family meetings. And none of my kids raised their hands. And I'm like, how, are you kidding me? And mm -hmm. so it's trying to find that balance, right? To be able to allow them to, yes, speak your truth. Mm -hmm. How do how do you also though? Is it do do you have? Am I wrong for having that conversation? The awareness piece, so that even if that's how you felt after the fact, like let's acknowledge that. And that's just one example. There are other examples where it was like they processed something that came up with their own conclusion, but nobody ever guided them that way or it wasn't even insinuated. So how do you do that? Yeah, well, I think the, the first thing as parents is taking this stance within these particular conversations for there not to be a right or a wrong, right? And so with that, when you say that um, she felt like she had to do these things, but you explicitly recounted and told her, well, I never told you that. Mm -hmm. There, 
kids do sometimes more things that are learned and observed versus what's said, right? So the whole mm-hmm. action louder than words thing. And so mm-hmm. to know you and to hear you a little bit earlier in this segment say, you know, well, I just help people. If somebody needs something or if something, you know, I, I yeah. just see they need or whatever, I'm just going to do it. Your daughters are learning that same thing, whether you told them or not. That right? part, yeah. And that doesn't mean that you're doing anything wrong as a parent or that you put that responsibility on her. She just learned what she saw her mama do and internalized that and said, well, I guess I got to do the same thing because she doing all this stuff and I have the ability. So let me just help. Oh, that's good, Melissa. That's so good. And so you didn't do anything wrong as a parent because your daughter learned that and she didn't do anything wrong as a daughter because she was trying to help is just the meeting of the two. And so you validating that and saying, you know what? I do that all the time, right? I, I do things yeah. all the time that you probably didn't tell me to do. And I appreciate you for, for stepping in and filling in that way. But I want to release you of that responsibility and know that you don't have to carry that on your shoulders. I love that. I love right? Listen. Thank you so, so much. It's a total different acknowledgement of what's yeah. actually happening. But so many times with, with children, and I'm, oh, mine is in the the, ooh, the depths of teenagehood. And it's, <laughs> it's challenging every bone in my body. But as parents, like, it's, and, and again, that's why I want you to work through that fear of going and sitting with somebody and talking through yeah. this stuff is because in our child rearing, our stuff is always going to be, yes. we're always going to be challenged by it, right? Yes. And how we respond to that, how we deal with our own stuff and not put that or project that onto our children or mm-hmm. trying to protect ourselves within a particular situation or experience. Yeah. That's a that's a real hard balance um, to to work through, and we don't always get it right. We're not always going to get it right, and even acknowledging that and saying, you know what, I really messed up with that. that you part. know, yeah, I snapped on you prematurely, or I didn't listen to you the way that I I wanted to, or I didn't respond to you in the way, or you know what, let's let's just go and, and let's just talk about this. Like it it takes a lot to be able to get to that space sometimes depending on what else is kind of going on. Mm. Um, But as parents, we're always doing our work as we're raising up our babies and with you five girls that you're doing an amazing job with. So please extend all the grace in the world. Thank you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I thank you so much for being here, for coming out of your sabbatical for a good hour to be with me. Uh, please tell them again how to find you, especially those in St. Louis, well, in Missouri, uh, Illinois, all the places. you. Anyway, they can go to your website and find the places you can practice. But go ahead. <laughs> yes, our practice website is goal-driven counseling. So that's goal, like goal-setting, driven, like driven a car, and then counseling.com. We have the access initiative program. So even though we have these state-specific uh, states for counseling, we have this wellness coaching program that has opportunities for individual coaching sessions up to 12 weeks and virtual wellness coaching sessions as well for anybody across the country. So on our website right now on the access initiative page, you can sign up for alerts because that program will be um, actually 
the first week of June, that program will be accepting new clients. Um, and it's a, it's a reduced fee program too, because Amen. one thing when we think about accessibility, we think about this virtual thing being accessible, but financial accessibility is also a thing. Um, everybody don't have the good health insurance. Everybody doesn't have health insurance. Everybody's finances doesn't always allow for them to prioritize uh, mental wellness uh, because it's an expense as well. Yes. So that program, I didn't, I didn't say that earlier. It's actually a very reduced fee program too, because it's, it's time specific and it's with our developing interns. But yeah, we, we have the option. So, and that's um, men and women. Yes, men, women. We, we actually see ages thirteen plus. So teens, oh. men, women, all of that. Um, we serve for the AI initiative. The AI. Mm -hmm. Okay, just mm -hmm. making sure. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. thank you so much again. I appreciate you. Uh, thank you for everyone who's joined, who will watch the replay, who will catch us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Again, we are eliminating excuses in every area of our lives. We are learning balance, growing in our perspective and being accountable. You all have an amazing day and don't forget to share. Have an amazing day. Thank you, boo.